0: you're listening to the sermon podcast from meadowbrook church in cheyenne wyoming with pastor keith miller the scripture reading for this week's sermon is jude verses 5 through 7. now i want to remind you although you once fully knew it that jesus who saved the people out of the land of egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. I want to encourage you that if you have a Bible to turn open to Jude. If you don't, grab one of those uh, Bibles that's under the under the chairs, there, there's a bunch of them. Grab one, uh, turn open to Jude. Jude, if you're wondering, where's Jude? It's, ripe, it's, the, it's one page, usually. It's only 25 verses, and it's just before the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and so uh, that's how you can find it. There is a lot uh, to, to cover, and so as we, as we get there, or as we get ready to hit the ground running here... Uh, I have another uh, about thirty copies, or I had thirty copies. A number of them were taken of the chart where I have Jude, and I have its refer- how uh, its cross references and other and other columns here: Old Testament, uh, the Gospels, and Acts, uh, the Epistles, and Revelation. Uh, especially this one, I think you'll find really helpful. Some of you said, "Hey, can you email that to me?" So we got your information. We're, we're sending those to you. You'll get this in the in the email. Uh, but if you haven't, signed up for it yet, uh, you, you can do that by filling out the little piece of paper uh, in your bulletin, tear it off, just say, hey, I want that, that chart, uh, and then put it in this box or any of the boxes on your way out. Uh, you could do that. If you're visiting with us, do, do me a favor, uh, fill this out also, let us know how you found out about us, and then make sure you, you bring it to the person on the welcome desk. There's a gift waiting for you if you, already, if you have not yet received a gift. Also, you'll you'll get uh, something in the mail from me as well, uh, another gift. So, uh, so there's that. All right, we're in Jude. I uh, <laughs> there are some things in this passage that I saw that I didn't see in the, you know when I was reading through Jude 14 times during my vacation. You know, each day for 14 days, that uh, just popped out at me, and it dawned on me. I actually mentioned this uh, to somebody before the first service. I could have preached a sermon on each of these verses. I'm not going to do that. There's a lot. There's a, there's a lot here. Uh, there is more in my sermon manuscript than what I'm going to say today, so I would encourage you to check that out. But this is, a, this is I mean, all of Jude is very rich, but my goodness. Uh, verses 5 through 7 is loaded. It's loaded. And for reasons you will see. You, you'll discover this as we, as we work our way through uh, these, these verses today. So what I want to do is just kind of set things up, and then we'll dive right into these verses. Uh, there are going to be three stories I'm going to share uh, from Jude, the story of, of the Passover, the story of, of uh, these angels that did some wacky, evil things, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to retell those stories. I have the actual scripture passages in my sermon manuscript. I'm not going to read those for you just for the sake of time. So uh, there are three stories that Jude uses here. And, and they're, they're, they, they come right on the heels of verse two, uh, well, verses one and two, that Jesus called, you know, he called us, uh, that as a result of our calling, we're beloved. In God the Father, and as a result of that, we are kept for and by Jesus. If you were here last week, I talked about that. I unpacked that, that there were these people who crept in unnoticed. They snuck into the these congregations. I don't know if it's one congregation or multiple congregations that Judas had, had wrote his letter to, but they they snuck in, and we know that this isn't something that's just unique to the people that Jude wrote to, this is something that, that many of the epistles address. Even Jesus talks about it. Jesus said, some, the, the, on that day of, uh, of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I've done this and this in your name, and I will say to them, I never knew you. So, so, so the, the, the New Testament and the Old Testament is littered with examples of these individuals who creep in, who say they belong to the people of God, but never really truly belonged to the people of God. And so Jude says in, in verse 4 that these people snuck in, and they snuck in unnoticed. Uh, the, long ago, they're con- they're, they were designated to condemnation. They're ungodly, and they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And, and this is what marks them out. They deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So that sets up verses 5 through 7. Now, how is, it, how is it that people are able to creep in? How are they able to creep in and introduce false doctrine or, 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 or the Bible even uses the phrase doctrines of demons? How is he able to do that? Or how are they able to do that? Well, I think there's two reasons. There's two answers. One, there is... Uh, There's Satan. Warren Wiersbe, who was a pastor and a theologian, said this of how people are able to creep in unnoticed. He said, Satan is the great imitator, and he's been at heart at work ever since he deceived Eve in the garden. He has false Christians, a false gospel, and even a false righteousness. One day, he will present to the world a false Christ. So that's one, one reason. The other reason is that, and I mentioned this last week, there, is, uh, there are Christians whose foundation, that is the faith that has been handed down once and for all by the saints and the apostles, their foundation is, 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 is weak or shallow. And some of that's due to just they're new in the faith. Some of it is due to the fact that, you, that they never graduated from milk to meat. And so, when you get these people who creep in unnoticed, they're able to introduce these teachings where they sound like they have an element of truth to them, and some are deceived by that. So, Jude is warning these Christians, don't do that, don't give in to that, and he gives us three warnings. Uh, and, and I kind of rephrase them, I summarize each of these verses. And I'll, I'll, I'll sh- these are my sermon points. I'll share these with you so you kind of know what's going, what, what, what's coming. One is do not forget God the Savior. Do not forget God the Savior. Secondly, do not forget God the Creator. And then third, do not forget the God who is holy. And so what I want to do is just dive right into this and just let us just kind of unpack this together uh, the first is that do not forget God the Savior. He, here's the crazy thing about, about this. this, is, this is what I, I kid you not, I had never seen this before until this week. Uh, and I was doing this, doing this work, that, unpack, that uncovered this uh, to me. How many of you have the new, or the NIV? Just raise your hand. Okay, a uh, number of you. How many of you have the English Standard Version? Okay, and then how many of you have something else? Okay, so uh, most of you have either the NIV or the ESV, in which you've noticed, like right off the bat, what you saw was, and this is kind of the elephant in the room I want to deal with right from the beginning. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, this is what the ESV says, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now in the NIV it says, uh, those, uh, the the, the, the Lord, the Lord, led his people out of out of Egypt. So he, he, so I saw that and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And as I was as I was looking at this, I thought, well, okay, what does the Greek what does my Greek New Testament say? What word is used for Jesus there? Cuz I thought maybe maybe the uh, like I, I, for a moment I was getting angry with the translators of the ESV. I'm like, why why did you do that? Um, if if it's using the word the Greek word kurios, which means lord, um, it would have to use the word Yeshua if it's uh, if it's if it's Greek, and so I went to my Greek New Testament. I'm like, oh no. It says Yeshua. It has Yeshua there. So why NIV? Did you translate it Lord? So then I called Thomas uh, into my office, and so we were talking about this passage, and I said, we, uh, look at this thing. I, I, how, do we expl- how do you explain this? And he said, well, let me check my Greek New Testament. So he checked his Greek New Testament, and the word that he, his New Testament used, the Greek New Testament, was kurios, which means Lord. I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? Here's what's going on, and this is, I just want to set the tone here. So so in your in the ESV, NIV, New American Standard, other versions of the Bible, you will see footnotes, and, and you'll occasionally you'll see a little footnote that says some manuscripts use, you know, this word, other manuscripts use that word, and as I was looking at my Greek New Testament, I went to the Latin Vulgate, because the King James, some of you are like, come on, Keith, get get to the verse five. No, you got you got to hear this. Okay, so the the King James was was. Released in 1611 and it used the word "curios." that uh, this manuscript that they were using in Jude uh, used "curios" for Lord and then I thought well What about the Latin Vulgate that was translated by one of the church fathers fathers by the name of Jerome in 382 I believe And his in his Latin Vulgate he translated from a Greek manuscript that used Yeshua or Jesus So who what is it Lord or Jesus? It's both it's both. Every time, every time the Greek word kurios is used in Jude, except for one, and it's another place in Jude, is referring to Jesus. Why is this significant? Here's why it's significant. Here, doing this to, just to get to this point Jude is referring to the Passover, he's referring to the Exodus. And just after, when you read Exodus chapter 12, which describes the Passover, just before they are led to the Red Sea, where God parted the sea, um, there's this verse in Exodus chapter 12, verse 51. And on that very day, the Lord, that is Yahweh, Yahweh brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Here's what Jude is doing here. Christians... Do not fall into the trap of denying Jesus, our only Master and Lord. Here's why. Because Jesus participated and led the Hebrew people out of the bondage of slavery. It's just another statement that, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, I just want you to see that because there's this, there's this thread that's woven through these three stories that I'm going to retell for you that are woven through all these three stories that highlight the fact that Jesus is Master and Lord. And so don't throw him away. You don't turn your back on him. And so, so, he says, so the first warning is, do not forget God the Savior. Do not forget God the Savior. So let's go back to the Passover. So what, is true, what was true of the Passover? When? Uh, well, here's what was true. So, uh, so here you have the Hebrew people in bondage and slavery. God used Moses and Aaron and, and Miriam, too. She's, a, she's credited with this. He used especially Moses and Aaron to speak to Pharaoh, and God said through Moses and Aaron, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. So, so God said, okay, fine, then, then there were going to be a series of plagues. And so there were a series of nine plagues leading up to the tenth plague, and each of them were crazy, phenomenal, supernatural things that God did, like turning water to blood and, and, and plaguing the land with, with frogs and, 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 and bugs and, and uh, diseases and crazy hailstorms and all kinds of stuff. Now here's the thing. All the Hebrew people, were, while they were in Egypt, they witnessed and experienced the same plagues that the Egyptians uh, witnessed and experienced. Now, now I, I, there was no harm brought to the Hebrew people that believed, but, but they witnessed it. They witnessed it. They saw it. it with their very eyes. And then leading up to the final plague, the tenth plague, which was the angel of death, after Pharaoh said, I'm not letting the people go, uh, God said, fine. Then he instructed the Hebrew people to take a lamb. This is so important. To take a lamb, an unblemished lamb. What does that mean? A perfect, s- spotless lamb. You, you hear overtones in the New Testament? Okay. And bring that lamb into your home for 14 days. Why? Well, because within 14 days, your children are going to grow attached to that lamb. You may even grow attached to that lamb. And then on the twilight, at twilight, on the eve of Passover, um, this is what you're going to do. You're going to sacrifice that lamb. You're going to slaughter that lamb, and you're going to take the blood of that perfect spotless lamb, and you're going to mark your doorposts with it. And the angel of death, when the angel of death comes, every home that is marked by the spotless blood of the Lamb, that angel of death is going to pass over that family. And for those homes that are not marked with the spotless blood of the Lamb, the firstborn child or firstborn son will die. And that's exactly what happened, including Pharaoh's child died. His son died. And, uh, and, and so Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here. And so he released the Hebrew people. They left. And when they, when they left Egypt, they were guided by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were led to the, where, where the dirt and the water come together at the Red Sea. They were led to, led to that point. And somewhere along the way, on, the, on their way to that point, Pharaoh had a change of heart. And he said, I'm not going to let these people go. I'm going to pursue them, and I'm going to bring my army, and we're going to, and to, you know, to do it. And so that's what he did. So he pursued them, and even after seeing all the plagues, the Hebrew people were like, you know, they saw the Egyptians, the Egyptian army coming, and they're like, did you just lead us out here to die, Moses? I mean, come on. We should have just stayed back in Egypt. I mean, already they're complaining. And so, so then God used Moses to part the seat. Hebrew people saw God miraculously part the sea so that they could walk through it. So they walked through the land or on dry land through the sea, got to the other side, and then God closed the water, the the sea, back on the pursuing Egyptians, and they perished. They died. The Hebrew people saw that. They also saw God rain down manna from heaven. They saw, they saw all kinds of crazy supernatural things that God did to demonstrate that he is a God who honors his promises, that he's unlike any other God because he is the true God. And so they witnessed that, and then they, as they experienced that, for years they experienced that, they finally get to the to the threshold of the land of Canaan, the land of promise, Moses sent 12 spies into the land, and they spied out the land. They came back, and 10 of the spies said, there's no way we can take that land. There are giants in the land, Nephilim, uh, they're in the land, these crazy beings, and, and, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can do it. Two of the other spies, by the name of Caleb and Joshua, said, no, we can because of what God has promised and God has demonstrated that he can do the impossible. And, and, and so he so had this happen, and the people heard this, and they sided with the ten spies, and they agreed, we can't take the land because the, the, what's in the land is just too big for God to handle. And God judged them. And that generation died. Uh, they, they died out, and it wasn't until years and years later that the second generation was able to go into the land that God had promised. That's what, that's what Jude is referring to here. What he's, re, what he's warning the Christians of, these Christians, what, he's, what we're being warned of is, we have someone greater than this little lamb that's hung out in a home, in the homes of the Hebrew people for 14 days. We have the Lamb of God. We have the Lamb of God who was slaughtered on our account for our sins in our place. He was hung on a cross. He was buried in a tomb, and on the third day, he did something even greater than the parting of the Red Sea. He conquered death. And so Jude's saying, "Don't, don't be like like the Hebrew people who were so close. They were so close. And it was with the promise was within the reach, and they and they failed to to grasp it because they did not believe." The, the, the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't believe that this God was ca- capable of fulfilling his promises. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that person. Don't be like that person. We have something better than what they had. We have the true Passover lamb. We have the true Passover lamb. So, uh, so that's the first, first warning. The first warning is, believe. Believe in this. Jesus who is master and Lord believe in him and believe his promise that his promises are sure and If you believe that he's master and Lord it will affect your life. You'll cross over into the land of Canaan (laughs) You'll you'll be like Caleb and Joshua God can do it like that. That will be your posture if Jesus said it I believe it and so so that's the first warning this the the second warning is do not forget God the creator now these are sequential like he, Jude does something so amazing here. So he starts with unbelief, and then he, he moves to uh, these, the, the story of these angels who, who, who rebelled against God. They rejected God as creator, or they re, rejected the, the, the order of God's creation because they rejected God. Here you have these angels who were in the presence of God Almighty, they worshipped him, they saw him, and they rebelled. You can read a little bit about that in uh, Revelation 12 and I think Isaiah 14. But they, they rebelled. and, and th- So they're called fallen angels. We also, they're also known as demons. Satan is one of them. And so Jude says here in verse 6, don't miss this, he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority left their proper dwelling. He judged them. Now the question is, what, what, what did they do? What did they do? And, and the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter talks about this too. So what did they do? Well, I think what Jude is doing is he's referring back to a, a chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter six, something that happened just before the flood. And I'll read the passage for you. I believe I have the words on the screen here. This, this, this is the one passage I'll read for you so you can see it. When man, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, based on the other things Jude will say a little later in his little letter um, and other places of the Bible, uh, I believe Jude is talking about Genesis chapter six. Now, there are three main views, I'm not gonna share all of them with you, of what, what Genesis chapter six is describing. The main, the main view, the, the view that the, m- many Hebrew people uh, embraced and also many in the church embraced and still embraced. In fact, I have a friend who wrote a book on Genesis chapter 6. And, uh, and I believe sides with this first view that the sons, of God, uh, the sons of God are fallen angels who masqueraded as men while the daughters of men were human beings, you know, human, women, um, and the fallen angels cohabited, because we have kids in the room, cohabited with, with uh, the, the women and had children, and those children were the Nephilim. Here's why I think there's a problem. This, this is the biggest problem I have with this view. And it's obvious, humans and angels don't have the same DNA. Angels are spirit beings; humans are physical and spiritual. Spiritual, right? So, how can an angel, who's a spirit being, come and impregnate a woman? It's just, it just doesn't work. So, the only being that's capable of doing something on that scale in a miraculous way is God the Father who the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and fertilized her human egg, and you have Jesus. Okay, so that's a whole other thing. But this is why I could have three sermons on each of these verses. Um, so what's going on here? There's another popular view that, that I think is more believable, and that is, that the sons of God were these regional kings and the daughters of men were these common women and the regional kings brought together, would take women, whoever they wanted, into their harem and, just, and had children with them, multiple women, beyond polygamy, uh, and would raise raised up these children who would be these ferocious warriors, men of renown. I'm getting to a point here. What do... <laughs> I have a hypothesis um, to explain Jude chapter, or Jude one, or well, verse, verse six here. Let me set the context and you'll get the point. You'll, 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 I think you'll feel the weight of this. What happened in Genesis chapter three? Adam and Eve did what? They sinned, right? How did they sin? They did not believe the promise and commands of God was very aware of this. So Adam and Eve sinned. Eve was deceived. Adam should have spoke up and said, Eve, that is is false teaching from that serpent. Uh, You you need to come with me. He didn't do that. They wound up rebelling against God. God, you know, uh, met them and covered them with lamb skins and promised, or animal skins, and promised them that that uh, there would be a deliverer that would come through their gene pool, a seed of promise, a child of promise, who would crush the head of the serpent. So then Adam and Eve uh, had a child, and that child's name was Go on. Sunday school. Cain. Well, Seth eventually. So Cain, that was their, fir- their first child, and then they had another child by the name of Abel. Good job. All right, so so, um, so what did Cain do to Abel? He Yeah. Nobody did? He rejected the God of creation by, by, by slaughtering his younger brother. Hmm? Okay, so. so Adam and Eve did not believe the promises of God. Cain overstepped his bounds and took the life of his younger brother, something that only God had the authority to do, and, and slaughtered him. Then God judged Cain... And Cain was banned from from that region, and uh, and I even preached a whole sermon on that sometime last uh, or early in the winter or whatever. But then, but then Cain had children, and his grandson was a, a guy by the name of Lamech. And Lamech, uh, we're, when we're introduced to him, <laughs> uh, he had not only was he violent. He said, you know, um, Cain was promised that like, if somebody hurt him, that God would judge that person sevenfold, but I'm telling you, there is somebody who hurt me, and there's somebody who touched me, and I poured out my wrath on that person 70 times fold on that individual, meaning I don't, so Lamech got to the place where I don't give a rip of what God thinks. I, 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 he's super violent, and also he introduces polygamy, multiple wives. And he so says, he, says, he talks to his two wives in that passage. That's Genesis chapter 4. Then you come to Genesis chapter 6, and you have that the earth is exceedingly violent and wicked, and you have these sons of God who are taking on multiple women into their harem. Do you see the connection? So where do the angels fall in, in, in this whole story? Fallen angels. Here's, here's what I think happened, and this is why I think it makes sense. What we, and based on what we know from history and also our Bibles. What are fallen angels able to do? What is the one thing that they are able to do? They can possess human beings. Right? Demonic possession. We see it all throughout the Gospels. Um, I've, you know, Some people have experienced it. They're able to do that. Uh, what we know from, from antiquity is, and it still goes on today in some cultures, is that, especially in third world countries, that there are people groups that honor the display of power, supernatural power. So they worship these different gods, and they invite these deities who are demons. That's what the Bible says. Any idol is a de- behind every idol is a demon. They invite them into, into themselves uh, to empower them. And I think that's what's going on here. You have these regional kings, these regional rulers who are extremely violent, who worship not the God of the Bible, not the God of Adam and Eve, but they worship their own idols and they invited these deities into them. Um, And that's where these fallen angels come into play. They possess these these, these, uh, regional kings and for the purpose of sexual perversion with human women. I think that's what's going on here. But there's something even more significant and why that's going on here, that, and, and the reason why Jude uses this as, another, as an example of a warning. And that is what marriage points to. What is marriage? Well, uh, in the Bible, when we come to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, marriage is, is something to be celebrated within the context of a man and a woman who come into covenantal relationship with one another before God. That's marriage. But as we read the Bible, what we learn in like places like Ephesians chapter 5 is that there's this great and profound mystery behind marriage that God intended all along for it to be a portrait of. And that is, it wasn't just about two people who love each other coming together and having children together. It's more than that. It's a portrait. It's, it's, it's pointing to something greater. And what is that something greater? Well, it's something that, that's something greater, something that the angels were aware of, and, uh, and, and Paul even talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5. And so let's read this together. Ready? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Yeah, you can, you can stop there. Um, he's saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That, that the institution of marriage in Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall in Genesis chapter 3 was meant all along to point to Christ's relationship to the church. So w- w- what is the one thing that the demonic world absolutely loathes and hates? Well, they hate God, and they, and, and they hate this, this idea of redemption, and they hate what marriage points to. That's why marriage is under attack today, um, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of it. And so this is why, this is what I believe what was happening here. And Jude says, you can go from a, a lack of faith where you don't believe the promises of God and that can evolve to you don't, even, you don't even honor the, the things that God has called good. You, you don't even honor the fact that God is master and Lord over your life. And then he, he gives us a third illustration. But, but here, here's what I would just want you to, just, to stew on for just a few seconds so that you're bothered by it. These angels who have fallen that Jude talks about were in the presence of the living God. Like they were there. Like if, you're like if you're like one of those people I've had conversations with, well, if I were in heaven, I could see God face to face, then I would worship him. These creatures, these angels, worshiped God face to face, and they rejected him. Uh, and, they, and they had fallen. And Judah's saying, if angels can do that, so can you, those of you who've been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who've heard about his death and resurrection, and have seen his power demonstrated and worked through the lives of those around you, you know, family members and friends and so forth and so on, you've seen the resurrection power of God active and changing the lives of individuals that you know, that if you were able to see that, you could still wind up like these angels, these fallen angels. Which leads me to the third point. And that is, do not forget the God who is holy. So, so what does Jude do? He, he goes right into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now how many of you are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, most of you. Um, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. I'm going to retell the story for the sake of time, but I want to set it up for you because um, it's easy to miss certain, some key things. In, the sto- in that story, as, it gets, as the story gets set up, Adam, or, um, Abraham's there, <laughs> he and his wife had been married years and years and years the past the point of childbearing or she is, anyway and, and God had promised Abraham not long before chapter 18, that, that he would make sure that Adam or not Adam sorry, Abraham and Sarah would have a child. And so then we come to chapter 18, Abraham's hanging out, and he sees these three men walking towards him. This is, this is staggering. He's seeing these three men walking towards him, and they're before him. And, uh, and he's, they share a meal with him. He has a meal prepared for them. And, and it, it doesn't take long before you notice that the one, one of the three men that's speaking to Abraham is Yahweh. One of the three men is speaking to Abraham as God in flesh or in the form of man. Hmm? Um, And so so as he speaks to him, Yahweh, that's the word that's used to describe this, this one man. The other two, it becomes very obvious that they're angels. He tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and the surrounding cities because of their sin. And then there's this dialogue between Abraham and, this, and God. And, and the dialogue goes something like, if there's 50 people in the city, will you spare it? And, and, and Yahweh says, yes, yeah, I'll spare it. Well, and it gets all the way down to, I believe, 10. If there's 10 righteous people in the city, will you spare it? Well, yes, because there's no righteous people. A, a, a case could be made that not even, not even his, his, Abraham's nephew Lot is righteous. But God spares Lot. And offers, you know, uh, an exemption to Lot's family from from judgment, and uh, and so the two angels go off to judge, uh, to bring God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, while Abraham has this conversation with with Yahweh, with God. So they th- so so that's the. the So then the story picks up with Sodom and Gomorrah. So the two angels walk into Sodom, Sodom, and Lot sees them and says, hey, it's not safe for you to be out here. Come with me. Stay in my house. Uh, for the evening. And so they said, okay. So they stay with, with Lot, but news spreads that there's these two men that have entered into the city. And what we learn from the passages in, in Jude and other places in the Bible is that they know there's something more going on with these men. And so what do they want to do? They want to have sexual They want to have sex with They want to rape. They want to rape these, these two men. And, uh, and we're told that not just a few guys wanted to do that. Every male in Sodom from young to old surrounded the house and demanded that Lot release these men from their home, from his home to do this to them. And then Lot says, and this is just, it gets really sketchy with Lot. So Lot's like, well, why don't you take my daughters? Um, and they refuse, they want the men. And, and so uh, the, the angels blind all the men and Lot and his two daughters uh, wind up surviving that judgment based on the grace of God. What's the point? Why does Jude share that story? Here's why. There was some representation of Yahweh that was close to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that representation was Lot. He knew something of the God of Abraham. And they not only didn't believe in him, they not only rejected God's order of creation, but they had gotten to the place in their sin where there was no going back. There was no going back. And that's the point that Jude is, is, is warning these Christians of. He's like, don't, don't do what, what these people did. Like... like what the Hebrews did when they were on the threshold of, God's pro- of, of receiving God's promise, they, they rejected it. And then, and then don't be like these, these angels who perverted you know, the institution of marriage. Like don't, don't be like them by denying the God of all creation and rejecting Jesus' authority over you as Master and Lord. And, and be warned that you can get to a place in your life where you, where you just kind of long after your sin and chase after your sin to the point where there is no turning back. Whether you've passed, you're beyond the point of repentance. You're beyond the point of uh, of, of turning from your sin. Don't be like those individuals. Like we have something greater. <laughs> we have the Passover Lamb. We have the, the, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who died in our place, on, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day rose from the grave. You Christians have been redeemed by that Lamb. Meadowbrook, you have been redeemed by that Lamb if you, believe, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Don't ever let that go. This is a faith that was handed down once and for all by the saints and by the apostles. Don't let it go. Don't let the Word of God go. And so, so when it comes to his promises, and when it comes to him being master and lord, listen to him and obey him, because there can come a point in your life where you chase after your sins so hard, it it, it demonstrates that you probably never even knew him to begin with, where the point of repentance is is beyond your reach. That's that's a sobering warning here, and I've seen it happen, friends. I've seen it happen. The the, the, the thread, I'm bringing this to a close because I have two minutes. (laughs) I put 40 minutes on my timer. Um, The the thread that's woven through here is all related to Jesus. He he warns them about these these people who creep in. They're known by a number of things, but the, the primary thing they're known for is that they deny our only master and our Lord, Jesus Christ. And these three, three illustrations show us that you, you can move in that direction to where you land with denying Jesus as your only master and Lord. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, Jesus is the Passover lamb. <laughs> Marriage is a portrait of Jesus' relationship to the church. Like, God is a good God. And uh, his, his commands are intended for our joy and his glory. And so there's uh, some things I just want to point out to you as I draw this to a close. And that is, one, let's go to the next slide. Um, let's go to the next one. There we go. If Jesus is truly master and Lord, then you must obey what he has commanded and trust that his promises are sure. I like guess that's, that's the first point, like Jude wants us to get. Second, let's go to the second one. That if Jesus is truly Master and Lord, then do not presume that His mercy and grace is a license to sin. Like he saved you. He saved you for the purpose of redeeming you. And the reason why He redeemed you is so that you can, so was towards holiness, so that you would represent Him as, as, as the son or daughter of the living God. Like we're called to holiness. Here's the the interesting thing. There's another verse that you'll see on the chart if you get one. Um, In Leviticus chapter 11 verse 45, uh, again, it's just saying the same thing Exodus chapter 12 says, but it adds a sentence to it. That, for I am Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And then he adds, you shall therefore be holy for I am holy. And and the same thing is said of the church in in passages like like, 1 Peter it says that we are saved. We're saved for the purpose of holiness. Since, since God is holy, you therefore should you need to be holy. You're called to be holy. And then third, if Jesus is truly Master and Lord who died on a cross as your Passover lamb, and if you chase after your sin with no regard of the great cost of your redemption, you will eventually reach a point where repentance becomes impossible. Now, I, don't, I, I didn't make this as clear in the first service. I don't think that's possible for the person who's genuinely, truly saved. I think you will hate and and be repulsed over your sin if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I think you'll just chase after your sin with no regard to what God thinks. If you don't don't have any regard to what God thinks about your sin, you're probably not a Christian. Your heart hasn't been changed. Um, But the warning is the same, though, And, and it's serious. There's a There's a passage that I want to share with you. It will be on the screen and the worship team can come up. And it's found in Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews is a sermon. The the book of Hebrews is a sermon written to the church. This is a warning that's given to the Christians or those who claim to be Christian in the, the churches that Hebrews was written to, which includes us. But before I even read that, I just want to, I didn't do this with the first service. I just want to remind you of something Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Hebrews chapter 6 is saying something very similar to that. And I just want you to hear this and I want you to see it and if you have a Bible, you might even want to turn open to it and mark it in your Bible. It says this, Therefore, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying uh, on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. That's sobering. That's sobering. Here's what I want to leave with you. We're going to sing a song. There are two bookends to Jude that I absolutely love. The first bookend is the first two verses to those who are called. If you're a Christian in this room, you have been called. And this is what you know that you are beloved in God the Father. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And because you're uh, beloved in God the Father, you know that you are kept for and kept by Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's who you are. And 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 the mercy and peace and love is 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 your experience—it's what God is lavishing upon your life as His child. If you are called and beloved by God the Father and kept uh, for Jesus, you are a child of the Living God. And the la- the, the the end, the, the, the other book end at the end of Jude is the doxology. And and maybe you're wondering, how do I keep myself from being like, like falling into the trap that the, that these warnings are designed to keep me from falling into? Like, how do I do that? Contend for the faith. Hold on to the faith that was once delivered to you by the saints and by the apostles. Hold on to it. Hold on to Jesus as the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who died in your place, was buried, and on the third day rose from the grave and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Hold on to that. And then hold on to the truths of Jude, verse 24 and 25. Hold on to the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.